like to discover how music has made a person right from the very beginning. And for you, that started at the age of three on the piano, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how did that go? Because I have a three-year-old son and I can't imagine him doing anything on the piano other than like smashing it with his hands. So what was it like for you at the age of three? Do you remember what that was like? Yeah, you know, this is how my mom tells it. Which, you know, I don't know if that's right, but I, I do just remember smashing on the piano and just being intrigued with it. And um, always hearing that my grandmother was a, was a classical pianist. I never got to meet her, but I always knew she was a classical pianist. So I kind of was intrigued in that history of my family. And, and my mom really pushed me towards doing it. I think because she grew up listening to her mother play piano. And so right. she pushed me in that direction. And so were either of your parents musical in that way? Or was, was it more your grandparents? No, it, it, was, it was my grandmother who I never met. Uh, she was a classical pianist and um, I never considered myself naturally musical. I feel like it was a learned thing. I just, I, I worked really hard at it and learned it. Right. I think some people just naturally, you know, like I was imagining Michael Jackson it was just, it was just in him, you know, Bruno Mars is just in him. It's like right. Ray Charles, like he came out of the womb probably playing like that. I, I worked very hard. I, 21 years of my life, like studying classical piano really intently. And did you enjoy it all the way along? Because I know a lot of musicians talk about they started on the piano, but that they didn't like it. So do you remember always liking it or was there phases you would go through? There were lots of phases. I hated it. I, was, I got really mad at my parents for making me do it making me practice. And I resented them. I wanted to play football. and I had a piano teacher tell me I had to choose between football or piano. Really? Because it was, I could hurt my hands and it wouldn't be worthwhile for her to teach me if I was playing football. So there's a lot of crossroads, a lot of, a lot of um, tension. But, I, you know, looking back, I'm very grateful that, that my parents made me sit down every day for 30 to 45 minutes. I did hate it. I hated playing scales every day in arpeggios and playing Bach. It was the worst thing ever. But... I think that discipline, I learned a lot from the discipline and, and just learning that if you want to get good at something, you have, to, you have to truly just focus and give it everything you have. And in the end, were you able to have that balance? Were you able to have that childhood of playing sports and getting out there and have the piano? I was, I was, I think I convinced my piano teacher to let me continue playing football. i you know, peer pressured into playing football. I, I didn't enjoy that. I wish I kind of looking back, wish, wish I hadn't because I have a lot of aches and pains from it still. Right. Yeah. I'm just grateful to have had that experience and playing. And I, I met a jazz tea. Uh, I used to go down to a bar when I was in high school and watched these guys play jazz. And I got to be friends with the piano player and he used to go over to his apartment and he would teach me jazz. He'd be eating a fried chicken wing in one hand. <laughs> showing me how to play improv with his right hand and how to comp chords. My favorite experience, learning how to play jazz with him. That is awesome. And as far as the songwriting goes, the first song you wrote was the at the age of 12 for a school play, right? Yeah, it was this thing called Odyssey of the Mind. And we ended up getting disqualified because they didn't believe that I wrote the song. They thought my mom wrote the song. And so... 
which was a very interesting experience for me to, you know, I was like, wow, this is interesting. People didn't believe I wrote this. So, you know, and the song wasn't good or anything. I, I later took a songwriting class in college. Yeah. And that's when I really fell in love with writing. I actually, I actually didn't even really write for my high school rock bands and stuff. A lot of times they wouldn't let me write. Like I'd be like, Hey guys, I got some ideas. And they'd be like, no, nah, we got it, Ross. We got it. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. I was always like, I was always like so nice and, you know, but taking a songwriting class in college truly made me fall in love with it. And and, yeah, that was the beginning of it all for me. And before we get there, you mentioned your high school rock band phase. I didn't find (laughs) anything about that online. So talk about that. What was that phase? I was in so many, so many bands in high school band name was Hayes. One was Vertigo. Um, we used to play downtown Roanoke playing covers and originals. We wanted to be, we wanted to be rock stars. It was like our dream and we were hustling it. It was the lead singer was this guy named Curtis Parks. He was so good. And we'd write all the songs. So I really, I was cutting, I was grinding it out in high school. I was like the guitar player, like, backup singer kind of so i probably learned more than i realized during those days you know grinding out with those guys and so when did the guitar come in when did you start learning that on top of the piano i realized that like playing guitar was a cool thing to know how to do in high school and so i started i went down to this place called the fret mill and took some guitar lessons and i was obsessed with metallica and so i got a um I guess a I got a blanket on the guitar I had. It was the same guitar Kurt Hammett had. Oh, okay. I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but I got a Mesa Boogie amp because that's what the guitar player from Creed played. I wanted to be like Mark Tremonti mixed with Metallica. And so I was just learning these songs and Guns N' Roses songs and Led Zeppelin songs. I would just stay in my basement and just crank my amp to 12 and rock out down there. And that's where actually where we had band practice was in my in my basement. Okay. I saw online, you said that you were a nineties rock kid and nowadays your wife has to like fill you in on what the nineties country was like. Right. That's hilarious. My wife has such a good knowledge of nineties country, which is a, is a era that I missed actually. Cause I was listening to rock and roll. That's so right. funny. So I'll hear a nineties country song. And I'll be like, I've never heard this. And she, she'll be like, Oh my gosh, how do you not know? This is, you know, it's Joe Diffie. This is whoever, you know, I now know a lot more than I did, but I was going to say, funny. I was listening to all that stuff. Yeah. Kid. I was going to say in Nashville, do you have to kind of hide that past because, uh, because you kind of have to know what you're talking about on the countryside? You know, it's funny, man. I've, I've done my homework since being here, you know, for, for a long time now. And yeah, but I think that my past is what makes me unique to Nashville is bringing that influence, you know, and, um, I, I lean into that. Guys like Kenny Chesney like ACDC and Led Zeppelin. And so when I'm making a demo, I, I can I can go there and I can make it sound like ACDC. I can relive my youth, you know. Yeah, because that's what kind of the way country's going, right? Is that sort of rock yeah. pop infusion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Third Eye Blind gets brought up a lot. That's one of my favorite bands. And ACDC literally is all the time for Kenny. Like if he's looking for a show opener, it's like, let's find something that feels like ACDC. Right. 
That's awesome. And so going into college then, what was it that drew you to majoring in piano after doing all the rock stuff in high school? Yeah. Um, what, what made you kind of take that turn? You know, it's funny. I was like, piano was something I was really good at and, and I loved music. I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. And so I, I auditioned to get into the music school, James Madison. I, I fell in love with James Madison, the school, the campus, everything about it. And I felt like, okay, piano could maybe help me get into this school. Oh, so okay. I auditioned and I surprisingly got into the music school with, with a piano concentration. Um, don't know how that happened because I wasn't that great. As when I got there, I realized how how talented a lot of other people were, and which was good for me to be around these people that were just musically so gifted. And, uh, I learned so much being around all these people. And was the songwriting class was that something that you wanted to take, or was that just something extra that you threw on top just because you needed a class? I ended up becoming a music industry major. And so they they had, they offered classes like songwriting and production and concert, concert promotion and things like that. And so that was just a class I, I was fortunate enough to take. It was the first time I discovered, wow, there's a process to this and you can learn how to get better at it and learning about structure and how to write better lyrics. You know, I tell a story once I, I, I ended up, sitting down having dinner with John Mayer after a show he played in Roanoke in actually Salem at Roanoke college. Okay. And I walked up to his table and I was just like, John, I'm, this was right before he broke. I was like, I'm such a big fan of yours. You've really inspired me. And, and he invited me to sit down and have dinner with him, which was a dream for me. Cause I was, it's what we were all listening to in college, you know, and we were listening to John Mayer and we, we all wanted to be him playing right. on the lawn and, in front of your dorm and he told me to buy this book called writing better lyrics by pat pattison who was one of his professors at berkeley and that book really inspired me and changed my life and really i never thought about lyrics as that much before that moment and then i i was just discovering all this new stuff i was discovering wow you can like this you can really craft lyrics to you know i was listening to rock music third eye blind and matchbox 20 and Radiohead, and I didn't know half the time what they were talking about. You know, I nor did I care. I was listening to that music for the feeling of it, and so I really studied how to write better lyrics after that point with John. And during your time at university, there was a what was it called, the National Association for Campus Activities, and you went around to like colleges oh, yeah, all NACA. over the states. Yeah, nobody's brought this up, man. That's that was a huge part of my history. Yeah, how did that influence you? Oh, hugely. You used to go to it's called the NACA of it was in NACA, it was in like Minneapolis, and you'd play, you'd showcase for all these college reps from colleges all over the country, and then they would choose, oh, we want to book you to come to our school. And just little schools all over the country. And so I would I was touring colleges all over the country by myself. I'd fly into Duluth and play at, a, at Duluth University and then drive 10 hours through the night to get to school outside of, you know, in South Dakota. And then I'd drive here, I'd drive there, I'd get a burger on the way and sleep in the car. And, you know, it was, cra it was crazy. I was playing in like cafeterias well, kids were like eating lunch. I was over, <laughs> I was the guy in the corner playing, but some nights it'd be like a full out show and there'd be like 200 people. 
But then other nights it was like kind of soul destroying because you're just playing in the corner and like nobody's really listening. So you you really learn how to engage and you're like, it's, it's a really humbling experience. Um, kind of like busking, to be honest. Right. Um, but so I, I, I grinded it out for years doing that, man. Your first big break that you had when you opened for Phil Vassar in university and his piano player noticed you. Talk about that meeting and wow, what man. that meant. Bringing up some really deep historical things nobody's talked about. Clay Ryder was his piano player. I, I won some competition to be able to open up for Phil. Actually accompanying a girl named Mia, I, I think. She was so sweet to let me play piano and sing my own song in the middle of her set. Oh, so okay. I got to play one of the songs I wrote. Phil's piano player was in the audience, saw me play invited me onto the bus after the show, said, hey, why don't you come to Nashville and, and uh, we'll make a record. I was in college and I was like, "That wow, okay, that sounds like a dream. Um, and so I did it. I, I went to Nashville. I had a manager in college, a girl named Gabby Revia, and we drove to Nashville together, stayed at Clay's in Clay's basement and cut a record at EMI, which ended up being my publishing company, still is. It's actually Sony now, but right in the basement of EMI, which is where I, if I had known I, that's where I was going to end up, you know, 10 years later, crazy history. The building's now gone as of much of Music Row also is gone. Right. But, um, yeah, that was a crazy, crazy experience. That never really started at all. Yeah. And how going into that record, like, how did you pick your sound? Did you know who you wanted to be? Did you know what sound you wanted to portray? I knew that I was somewhere between Gavin McGraw and John Mayer and Coldplay. And Clay brought in a band, which I had never, like a Nashville session band. And we cut the record down, down in that room. And I play piano on it and I sang the vocals at his studio and and then we went to Austin and mixed it at his house so yeah I did have a pretty clear vision because I'd been playing that the college shows for a year and I kind of knew who I was I was the piano guy I was very Phil Vassar influenced you know after spending a lot of time with him and um yeah that that record was Believe. Is that what caught the eye of Photogenic Records in the UK? Yeah, isn't it funny? I was on Phonogenic and now I'm on Photo Finish. <laughs> very funny, very funny, completely unrelated. But well, there are some songs on that that did, but but I what caught the eye of, of Phonogenic was that I started playing in New York at the bitter end once a week, playing songwriter shows there. And I was meeting AR people. I met a guy named Brian Maloof at RCA Records who gave me a development deal with RCA. And he hired Kevin Griffin from Better Than Ezra to produce my record, my my demo, my it was a four-song demo deal. Right. So Kevin did that. We wrote, we wrote some songs. Howie Day ended up recording one of the songs I wrote. Um, and then I met the guys that started Phonogenic at, in Topanga Canyon at, at Steve Kipner's house, who was a songwriter. Um, and they offered me a record deal sitting on the couch in Topanga. Um, I moved to, next thing I know, I was in, I was living in West Kensington, making a record. 
why was it that you had to go over there? Is that like where they were based or what was with that move? You know, a lot of music was, and still is break breaks out of the UK. I feel like a okay. lot of new pop and rock projects come out of the UK and then come here. And that, and, and there just been an American band to do that there. I cannot remember their name right now, but I think they were thinking in that way, like let's break him in the UK and then we'll go to the U S with it. Um, and so I, I had like one of the last kind of like big record deals where we shot tons of music. We shot, you know, four music videos and, um, photo shoot in Spain, like in the desert, like just crazy stuff. Like that I feel like doesn't happen in 2021, you know? Right. Yeah. And then, so that album was successful and you went on tours and you spent about two years doing it. Um, And then in 2008, something changed with within you. What was that, that made you want to move to Nashville? You were just kind of done with the whole artist thing or. Yeah. I'd kind of burned out on it and I just needed a change. I needed to reground myself and recenter and so I, I knew I needed to leave and I, I moved back to Roanoke for about two months and then I made a trip to Nashville and I just I had already had history there you know from making my record there with Clay and I just felt a connection I, I was in within driving distance of home which was Roanoke at that time and right it just felt right just to lay down some roots although you were kind of tired of being a performer when you were over in the UK, you came to Nashville with the thought of still being a performer, right? When you came, it wasn't like I'm a songwriter now and that's it. I did. I came in for a, for a hot second thinking that I was going to be an artist. And then I quickly realized I am not a country artist. I'm not going to come in here and not be authentic to myself. um, Country music is all about authenticity and country fans would can sniff out something that's not authentic and real in two seconds and i I just knew that that wasn't me and so i knew that i wanted to produce records and and write songs and that's what i dedicated my life to for the last 12 15 years you know yeah and where was that switch because up to that point it feels like country music wasn't even anywhere on your radar growing up or university or your performing career. So what all of a sudden was it that switched you over into that country world? It was all about songwriting for me. And I knew that Nashville is where the best songwriting happened. And that's where I wanted to be. And it was the people here. It felt like a family. I was embraced right off the bat from BMI and EMI and, and songwriters and producers just, just kind of took me in. Um, I was this guy from the UK that had this somewhat interesting story, you know, I was a little different. Um, Yeah, I was different. And so I I think I brought something a little different to the table. And so people gave me a shot here. On the songwriting side, like you said, with the piano, it wasn't necessarily natural. You had to work a lot at it. But with the songwriting, it really feels like that is something that was natural within you. Or did you have to work really hard at developing that muscle before you got going really well in Nashville? You know, I still work as hard as I did then developing it now. 
as I did, you know, it's something you're always developing. And if you, I always feel like if you stop for too long, you kind of get out of the practice and constantly studying. And I were, I probably wrote two songs a day the first few years while I was here, just grinding it hard. Um, it's kind of a theme in my life, just grinding, you know, going at things with everything I have. Um, but yeah, I was, I was as in love then with it as I am now. And you have to be in that in love with the process. And on the producing side, you kind of started that up in around 2012, right? Yeah. And yeah. where did that skill build? Was that something that, again, you took classes in university? Or is that just something you kind of learned on your own along the way? I, I definitely remember having like an eight-track tape machine when I was a kid in high school, just messing around on that. And then I, I upgraded to... I got a little basic Pro Tools rig as a kid. I had a Digi 002 in my basement in high school. I was messing around, not really knowing what I was doing. But then in college, I really got into it. And it was like I had a whole studio set up in my dorm, in my dorm room. Oh, okay. And that's all I did was just was mess with Pro Tools and Fruity Loops and building tracks. I'd have friends that played drums and bass. I'd go over to their dorm and we'd mic up a drum kit and so I was always dabbling with it. I was always intrigued by it. I always loved it, the process. And how did it happen that you were able to kind of start that in Nashville and not only get into the writer's world, but also the production world? You know, I definitely saw a gap here in that, in that you used to have to do demo sessions and go in and book a band and cut your demos. And I thought, wow, if I just make the tracks myself, I could write more songs and, and produce more demos quicker. And uh, I, I just knew it was more efficient. And so there, and there weren't many people doing it then. It was like Craig Wiseman and Luke Laird and then me. And then, and then a kid named Jimmy Robbins came on and he started doing it. And he started raising the bar even more. He was doing two of these demos a day. Okay. And then uh, like, and then Krista Stefano came to town and it's just, it's cool to see the evolution of, and now everybody does tracks. <laughs> yeah. Now there's, now there's like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Like a, an artist writes a song and he'll have the demo out that day. Now, yeah, now right? there's not a track. Now a track person is, is always in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and in 2012, you released two albums of your own. What, yeah. where, what was that for you? Like, was that something that you promoted or was that just something fun that you did just to put out or where did that fall within your career at that point? You know, I, I never wanted it to die completely, the artist in me. And so it was always there. And, and I did a lot of TV film writing throughout the last decade. And, and so those would have been songs I was writing for TV film. And I just... I wanted to feed this the machine a little and and feeding me really putting those out right and along the way um you've done a lot like in the studio like you've played instruments on people's songs you've done backing tracks does that also help you just to keep that muscle going oh yeah i mean there's never a week that i'm not producing three album, three tracks for, for an artist and then writing up until the time I'm producing or uh, singing a background vocal that night on a track and then mixing it the next day. I, I've started mixing stuff myself these days a lot. And 
okay editing a vocal and so i'm constantly i'm constantly in between then writing songs for myself now you know that i'm now that i'm putting out music again yeah with the new stuff and i guess all writing do you do any of it on your own or is it always with someone I start a lot of ideas by myself, but then I always bring them to someone else because I always feel like somebody can make them better. And I like that collaboration, you know? I like I like starting an idea and then if I want a great lyric, maybe bring it to Tom Douglas to help me write a great lyric or, you know, Josh Osborne or any of the, Shane McAnally, yeah. And when did work begin on this new album? Was it something that their songs you were writing for other people and you thought, no, these sound really good for me? Or did you go in writing for yourself and knowing that I it's time to put out something new? Yeah, definitely. The start of the pandemic was definitely a turning point for me, knowing that I was going to be at home for the next year, that if I'm if I'm ever going to do it, now's the time to do it. And so I had that time off to really focus with Alex Mendoza who produced this with me. And we really went in hard on these songs and, and took a year to get them to the place they are between me and Alex going back and forth to a place where I'd be, I was happy because it's the first thing I'd put out in a long time. And I, I wanted it to be really good, clear representation, you know? Yeah. And after like 10 years of being in Nashville, none of that country sort of snuck over. It wasn't like, hey, maybe I should produce a country album of my own. It's funny, a lot of people ask me that, but you know, it comes back to the the original thing of when I moved here, being an artist, you know, I'd, I'm just not a country artist, you know, I'm, although I did grow up in a small town in Virginia doing all that stuff. Yeah. You know, riding around in a truck, you know, playing football and you know, dr- drinking beer on a tailgate and doing all, I did all the stuff, you know, but I still, as an artist, that's just not who I am. How is the writing process different then when you're writing for country and then when you're writing these more popular songs for yourself? Is there a difference when you're writing for that? There's really not. You know, it's I I like to just try and write the best song in the room that day. And we started with Electricity and Therapy with Ed Sheeran and Johnny McDade. And when we wrote those two songs, I just... I just knew these were two of my favorite songs I'd ever been a part of. And I knew, gosh, if nobody cuts these and if Ed doesn't want these songs, then I feel like these are my, I want to, I want to have these songs for myself. So were you writing for Ed at that point then? No, we were just writing to write me and Ed and Johnny. It was the first time we had met and we were just writing and um, yeah, we wrote, we wrote them back to back two, three songs that day actually. And so what was it like writing for this album? Are you a lot more invested in the songs? Is it more difficult for you to write them because it is your own stuff? It is more difficult because I've spent a decade writing all different types of songs, you know? So the hard thing for me now is like finding it, focusing on my voice. And I've found that over the last year, I've, I've, I've been honing that and finding who I am and what I want to say. That's been the hardest thing, which I've now gotten to that place of knowing that. But it took a while to get back to that and find out who I was again. You sort of left that side of things because of the performing and the grind 
So yes. now with this album, are you ready to get back out there? Are you going to be getting out there and performing with it? I do hope to, you know, it's what I used to actually be good at. Like that was actually like what my thing was, was performing more so than songwriting. And so I, I'm excited. I do love it. Like I do really just, I live for that. And it kind of fills me up. Um, I'm not stopping what I'm doing in any way, writing and producing records for others. It's actually made me more inspired and excited to to write and produce for others because I have like a new appreciation having after doing back in being back in the artist seat. Right. I have a new appreciation. And did you have to almost stand back a bit because you are so well-versed on the production side, but when you have a co-producer on your own album, do you have to take a step back sometimes and let them take the reins and you just be the performer? That's why I wanted to bring Alex in. Exactly. I, I, I didn't want to just do it all myself. I wanted another input and especially an input from a pop perspective, which is what Alex comes from. Right. And so now, yeah, if I was just making a, a country album, I would have done it myself, but <laughs> doing what I, I want is my dream to make a pop project. And, and Alex helped me find that sound. He really helped me find it. How important was your wife to this album? Because I, I heard you talk about the songs on social media and your wife comes up a lot when you're talking about the inspiration and what the songs make you feel. Hugely important. She's, she's a big part of everything I do. And she's, um, she always reminds me my career took a turn when we got married, you know, for the better. That's when it all started kind of happening. And, and I have three kids too. And, you know, I wanted this to be something they'd be proud of. And I wanted to, to uh, songs like somewhere there's a light on or songs that give inspiration. You know, when you think there's nothing, there's no hope that there's somewhere in the world there's somebody's going through the same thing you are. And I, I kind of wanted that song to be for my kids in a lot of ways, you know? And with your kids, you grow up, grew up, uh, music sort of skipped a generation because your parents weren't all that musical. But with you, I saw that your kids are crazy musical already, right? It runs in yeah. the family. Yeah, like it is crazy. Like the, the, the way they sing and play, like my son plays drums better than I play now. And my daughters are great singers. My daughters are great songwriters and like, it is crazy because they're just surrounded by it, you know? It's, yeah. And I, and I sit down and play with them and I sit down and write with them. I, I teach them piano and because I want them to learn like I did like theory and, you know, scales. I, I won't be like as hard as my parents were on me probably, but, <laughs> you know. And do you ever look back and think about what might have happened if you hadn't moved away from the performing side? Yeah, I do. I do a lot, actually. I'm. Um, Actually, me and my wife talk about it a lot. Like if she had been with me through it all, probably would have been in a way different place. I'd probably be still performing over there. I mean, maybe I'd be headlining Wembley right now, <laughs> you know, but I was, I was alone and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was. I was a hot mess. And so if I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be doing this. If I, if I'd stayed there performing, I'd, who knows, I probably working at a gas station or, playing Wembley, one of the two. <laughs> and you talk about finding yourself. When you got to Nashville, how long did it take you 
to really find yourself as a songwriter and a producer, do you think, after switching over from that performer mindset? Yeah, it took a lot of grinding that down inside of me to then be able to give everything I had to every other artist I worked with and and know that I had to give that artist everything I had. And I'm making that artist's that artist's record, not mine. Right. And so that that's I always tell new young producers, like if you want to do the artist thing, you need to really, you need to really take it away you take it, put it over here so you can truly give that artist what they deserve. It's not doing them justice not to have to do that, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint I've never really thought about is that you're doing all this work, but at the end of the day, you're just going to be a liner note and maybe a mention by the artist, right? So really it's a, a thankless job that you're doing at the end of the day. It is actually in a lot of ways. It is. And it's kind of the path I wanted. I wanted to be maybe after being performing so much and doing that grind for so long, I wanted to step back and kind of just be to myself and make that record. And then, okay, that's great. You go promote that. I'm going to go on and do this one now. And it is in a lot of ways though, but yeah, that's crazy. But Nashville's a very gracious town. So it's a little different in that way that everyone is super supportive and it's a cool town for that. And what's next? Like you say, there was quite a while between your last record and this record. So is this something that's going to kind of just be maybe a blip for a while? Oh, or a do you want to continue is, on? This is the beginning of, of doing this now consistently. And I already have like 10, 20 songs ready to go, like to, to feed out. And I'm continuing to write for this. And so I'm going to continue to just roll out music and just build on this platform. I've, I've wanted to have this platform for a long time where I can just put out songs I love for myself and, and be able to maybe do a theater tour within a year. What was the release process like for you, seeing as you haven't done it in so long? When the first yeah. song went out, what was it like within you? Oh man, it was so exciting. And I just was really taking in every, I'm still am taking in every interview and every moment about it. Cause I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful to have a record deal. I'm grateful to have a management team helping me and a PR team. I'm just grateful to have people believing in what I'm doing again. You know, it's gotta be different stepping back into the spotlight a bit and stepping out from behind the producer and writer table. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you're the vulnerable one now, but but I'm pretty excited about that, and I'm a lot more confident than I was when I was doing this before, and, and I'm a lot more grounded. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on the album. There's so much more about songwriting that I want to talk to you about. So maybe uh, in the future we can have you on and just talk about Always. the songwriting side of things. Absolutely, man. Always. Yeah. Anytime. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good luck with the final song release and with hopefully seeing you out on, out on tour and seeing your songs from other artists continue to shoot up the, uh, the charts. Thank you so much, man. Thank you.